Hello, welcome to Untracing Trauma. This is Jagazus, and I have the very beautiful Johanna here with me. Hi, Johanna. How are you? Johanna and Jagazus. Ooh, J and J. I like it. It sounds like a alcohol brand, to be honest. I'll have a shot of uh, Johanna Jagazus. Thank you. What? Uh, hi. I'm very on the uh, on this. What is it? Live your show. We'll call it your show. My podcast YouTube thing that yeah, we don't have terms for it yet. Yeah. Your new thing. This is the new a new piece of content. Um no, I'm super this is cool. I I don't often get to talk about this subject because I make content, but I make stuff about other things. Yeah. So anyone who doesn't know you, how would you describe your content? I would describe it as hilarious get sketch comedy with like a dark edge sometimes i don't know how I, that, that's how i would do it yeah um comedy yeah firmly in the uh, sketch comedy i've been doing it since 2016 wow uh, before tiktok was even a thing um tiktok was called musically that mm-hmm. i've been sketching and um yeah just been a, a weird weird job but kind of fell into it because i'm an i'm an actor and I left drama school and uh, couldn't get a job. And um, I met a, an agent, like long story, really short, met an agent and he was like, you should do comedy. And I was like, no, I want to do Shakespeare. <laughs> comedy, um, go and go and get yourself a following or something on the internet. So I was like, all right. So I went, made a couple of sketches online. Um, do you remember a couple of years ago, there was a thing called the, um, the Floor is Lava? Yeah, the reality show? <laughs> Or like a game where people were talking about like yeah. online. The Netflix show basically came from the viral phenomenon, which was the game The Floor is Lava. So me and my friend Kevin yes. played The Floor is Lava and it went like crazy viral. And like Ellen, the Ellen show were like called us and were like, do you want to come on Ellen? Uh, and we were like, oh my God, we're going to get on The Ellen Show. And then, because um, everybody started to play the game, The Floor is Lava. Yeah. But then it went, it took, it went south and um, some girl, um, Floor is Lava, she jumped off a bridge. And then we started to get like negative press about it and being like, you made someone jump off a bridge. I was like, no, I didn't. Um, I just, we played a game and then they played the game, but then they played it on a bridge, which is not my fault. And Ellen sort of backed out of having us, having us on. But um, oh, that was even before you got on the Ellen show. Yeah. So we didn't get to do Ellen. That, oh, that Jesus. happened. But that, that's traumatic. I thought we were going to be talking about religious trauma and you come out here like, well, people are blaming me for others' lives. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy. How the internet, sometimes you, you make something and you put it out there and you don't know the reaction and you don't know where it's going to go. It could snowball, become viral. The amount of times people have shouted at me, oh, hey, the floor is lava girl or like whatever. Um, yeah. And and also I've been on the internet long enough now that things that went viral once, like five years ago. Some... They just circle back. Yeah. So a little clip is going viral again. I'm also known as the five guys girl because I was, um, I used to interview celebrities couple of years ago that was also my thing like in- i remember this anyways and i was interviewing um some guys from star trek and i accidentally there was like a massive confusion and they ended up sort of slut shaming me mm. um it was it was funny because <laughs> i said oh if you could teleport anywhere in the world like where would you go and they weren't really answering and i was like oh for me i would i would teleport from like my bed to a five guys and they were like what why i was like that- <laughs> five guys i'd go from bed to five guys and they were like what do you mean five men what do you i was like the burger place 
And they were like, oh. they thought you meant like this was turning into a stepbrother situation. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> they were like, it was a genuine misunderstanding and they were hilarious and we was really really funny and that went viral and then now that's going on uh, tiktok somehow got it and that's going mm. around again people are like so i'm either floor is lava girl or five guys girl um both but <laughs> people don't know about me because again i don't speak a lot about it is that i i guess i i have a lot of religious trauma because i grew up in a very religious family in a very secular little religious world and now that i'm grown up and mm-hmm. i'm unpacking a lot of it Right. And realizing, oh, wait, that like wasn't normal. That's not a normal thing. Wad. <laughs> Ceremonies and things that just other people just didn't grow up with that. And TikTok's actually really helped me because there are yeah. so many people who are also on this journey of like unpacking. And I mean, I, I don't know how old you are, but I'm early. I'm 18, I think. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you know, early 20s. I'm 32. So I'm, a, I'm, you know, I've been around. Yes, same. And um, I grew up in the era, the peak era of like purity culture and like mod DC talk, like liberal Christian, which is not liberal at all. Um, and yeah, so I was like, I went to Jesus camp every summer, and so. it was very like Hill Song and Soul Survivor and all of that. That was my world. Yeah growing up i relate okay so i know we're i know that at least i know the public facing side um so let's just i'm gonna give everyone a quick rundown for anyone who's new here because it's obviously a new show um basically what our goal is is to talk about religious trauma talk about personal stories hopefully in a way that where other people are listening they can kind of either see themselves in the stories or if not just a new perspective that they've never even knew was out there they're like whoa that's not uh, anything related to how I was, but essentially l- growing empathy just by being public, I guess. And I don't know, I can't take away everyone's trauma tomorrow, but I just want to make sure that if I can do anything with this platform, it's maybe highlighting voices. And through doing that, maybe somebody somewhere sitting in a car listening to a podcast and they get out of an abusive relationship or they learn how to love them, whatever the case may be. That's the goal. We'll see what happens. There's, <laughs> we won't know until I get an email saying, hey, this helped me. But so now everyone has that. I do want to put out also a content warning because uh, since we are talking about trauma in different ways, we're still going to keep it light and fun-ish uh, as much as you can do during that. But I just want to say, like, you know, it's probably not a kid's show. If you have kids, come back later and watch it. Um, I don't know what I'm going to be saying. I know I have some things that definitely fall into, like, the sexual abuse category. So if that's something that triggers you, it may or may not come out. We'll see where it goes. Um, Just be warned of that. All right. And with all those disclaimers aside, um, follow my Patreon and stuff. We'll also do social links and all that jazz at the end. So let's get into... You said that you were raised in an environment that you didn't necessarily recognize as different from everyone else's in terms of just mainstream religion. So where were you born into a family that was religious? How did, where do you begin? So I'm from London, England, and my parents met at, they were both teachers at a Christian school in London. And that's like literally how they met. And then they had me, my um, my mum comes from a Catholic family and my dad comes from Protestant. And so my mum like left the Catholic church whoa, and then got with my dad. My dad's um, 
gr- parents, my grandparents are ha- like uber religious. Like we were, we were Christian, but we had to change our clothes, pretend we didn't have a TV and like basically hide loads of stuff from grandma and granddad. Like when we went to visit them, it was like, I had to wear like button ups and long skirts. And- that was on the Catholic side? Your no, Catholic grandma? My dad's um, Protestant, like, but they are really, they were, uh, so basically my dad, I think my, my dad definitely had, a, you should get my dad on there. He had a worse time period. <laughs> he, uh, he was told that the world was going to end. And mm. so there was no point in going to college because what's the point? Because Jesus is coming back and the world is going to end. At this point, I think it was like 1976. So mm. my dad spent a couple of years, like his best years, literally traveling around, telling everybody that the end days were coming. Like that was the. And uh, spoiler alert, they didn't. They didn't. Oh, well. <laughs> they did not come. But they are, that's my grandparents. And so I grew up, well, I thought I was in a quite a relaxed environment, but because I wasn't as bad as my grandparents. But look. Right. When you have an extreme to compare yourself, you're like, okay, at least my parents aren't like making us do this every day. It's only when grandparents come over that we have to act cray cray. Look, I wasn't allowed to watch things. Like I, we weren't allowed to celebrate Halloween. We weren't allowed to uh, watch movies. I remember my mom, um, she banned me from watching Matilda. Anything with magic was like, no. And I remember trying to explain to my mom that Matilda isn't magic. She's Her brain just works better than other people. So she's actually uber clever. It's not magic. And she, mm-hmm. like, they were like funny about Harry Potter, funny about anything with witches and wizards. Um, and I remember when I was about nine, uh, some of the other mothers in my school kind of spoke to my mom and said, look, you, she's at, Johanna's being left out because she can't come to the Halloween party. She can't dress up. Um, you're actually like excluding her from mm-hmm. And so my mom had an agreement. I could go to Halloween, but I could only be a black cat every year. The same thing. Oh Where's the whiskers? <laughs> and in a black cleaner thought. Because obviously I find that so funny, to be honest, because she was worried about you participating and not like what you would witness you think most parents would be like oh my god what if she sees a zombie and has nightmares she's like no what if you dress up as a ghost instead of a black cat and then your soul goes to hell that's an interesting (laughs) very um it was very like you you know uh, and then as we got older my mom relaxed so by the time it got to my youngest brother i could take him trick-or-treating and i was like yeah isn't that funny are you the oldest i'm the oldest so what weird same same for me yeah i also was the only girl and so i got treated differently especially as a christian only girl um especially because the age that i went through the church was heavily on purity culture (laughs) treated differently to boys it was like we got told time and time again like your purity is your biggest value yeah like you, you know, you can't let boys in, and you know, boys will be boys, and men will take advantage. They can't control themselves. God forbid. Yeah, don't put them in any situations where they might just black out and have, you know, relations. And it was, and looking back now, and when I speak to other people that I grew up with in the church, and we we talk about it, I'm like, do you remember when we we had the like the talk and and how we were that the analogies that we used are so disgusting like the bucket analogy like oh no what's the bucket analogy okay so the i have a lot of analogies but i haven't heard the bucket analogy it was like as a woman you're you're a bucket and if you allow people to come and like clean things or put things in your bucket your bucket's gonna get pretty the water gets dirty and dirty yeah and 
And so we would talk like, so it was like a bucket analogy or... My mind went somewhere else, not to interrupt you, but when I heard bucket analogy and people come to, I was like, punch holes in the bucket and then your water leaks out. I was like, that is graphic. <laughs> no, it's like the idea that you you are the vessel that can become unclean, and other people, yeah. they don't. They walk away from the bucket clean and shiny, and you left with the dirty water. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I'm like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Because later I found out that every single cell in your body regenerates and becomes a new cell every like five to seven years or so. So yeah. every five to seven years. You're a completely new person. Completely new person, which means you have a completely new cellular vagina. <laughs> Basically, and it's yes, dirty or like you, you, you don't hold the stains of some of something. Right. Yeah, no one's gonna come in and do a pap smear and be like, "Oh, I think that was Cody left that mark there." <laughs> that was a third day. Like, like no, it's it, and it really. It even took a while for me to really um, let go of the whole concept of virginity. Mm-hmm. Like virgin is a constructed cultural concept. And I was like, oh my God, it is. And yeah. like it doesn't, it's it's in the same way as if we said, um, if we put value on people who would never cut their hair and we go, oh, mm. God, this person's so valuable. They've never cut their hair. Which some people do. There are some denominations that definitely do. Okay, maybe I'm sorry. <laughs> where, where for the majority of the mainstream people, we'd be like, well, we, we don't really mind if they've had a haircut or if they haven't had a haircut. Like, they're, they're no more right. or more of a person. Right. Same thing with sex and virginity. But it was it was honestly held as, like, this huge beacon and about how, yeah, you were like, and uh, That's so interesting. Um, So I, I obviously was raised in America and around the same time as you definitely in my church we also had purity culture being like the number one thing in terms of like youth conversations and any kind of teen groups you know it was always purity culture purity culture purity culture and then whatever the regular pastor does but that seems like the only reason that youth groups were formed was to speak about not having sex um but I also saw that repeated in American culture so I'm curious to know like what was it like outside of the church in england like was this like because i had a lot of friends that were all about purity culture who never been to a church in their life like it was so pervasive in the pop media that like everyone was just about this life like jonah's brothers with their purity rings and shit no that was very i think that was an american so it was for us it was the church and then the world Uh, really okay yeah and and everybody else was everybody else was having sex in fact we're just out there what is it slagging is that what you say over there (laughs) Slag. Um, everyone in the church was having sex as well. So, um, this is what what is so like crazy about all of it. So, um, it was completely normal in my world. We w- you'd get to like seventeen, eighteen, and you'd find a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and you would be with them for a very short amount of time, and then you would realize, oh, you know, I want to have sex with this person. So then you got to get married. Ooh, run, so, run to the altar. I got my second boyfriend ever at seventeen. And by 18, we were married because, oh, wow. because that's what you do. And he was like five years older than me. So, um, wait, so that makes him 24? He no. was like, yeah, 23. He was 24. Okay. Um, mm. we, um, we, we got married and, um, it, I, like even now I, I'm not married in, I'm not married now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
but that was, it was like the done thing. But I remember I missed my first day of university because I was still on honeymoon and wow. I turned late to like register. And I was like, sorry, I had to come back off my honeymoon. Whereas everybody else was like, what? like it was nobody gets married that young in, in English culture. You just, you know, you can have sex with Iran and you can believe mm-hmm. you are like the, the, mm-hmm. the that's how it is. But in the church, that's what I figured just based on like my small knowledge of like, you know, shows that made it over from across the pond. I'm like, it seems like a more liberated culture in terms of like the secular side of things um, when it comes to sex and like, but that's so sad that as looking back on it now, did it feel like you were forced into it because you wanted to have sex or did you just feel like the actual man, woman, wife was the only thing that like should be your first goal in adult life that establishes your adulthood to have a a household? Was it... Yeah, looking back, um, I had a difficult relationship with my mum and it got tense when I got to like 18 to the two, being the only two women in the house. It got very tense uh, and I saw getting married as a as an escape route. I was like, great, I'll get married. Uh, like, I'll get out of the house. Uh, so we really wanted to have sex. We, so we waited until we got married, which okay. was the worst thing. Yeah, we could have ever done. Everyone, listen to that right there. Worst thing. For my for my journey, we waited and we actually mm-hmm. waited, and um, because we thought everybody else was waiting. And afterwards, I found out that all of the other couples who had got married had not waited. Yeah, and and we were like, oh, and they were like, yeah, we were a bit naughty actually. Yeah. <laughs> But it's okay because I knew I was going to marry him eventually. Yeah, and I was like, "What?" Um, so we we got married, and then, uh, and then we realized that it, it like it didn't work. Um, we didn't work, mm. and because my the man that I married was, um, he was a sex addict. Really, part of the and I was like, I was eighteen, so part of the um. The issue people go, oh, sex addict, great. That's loads of sex. I'm like, no, no, no. The sex addiction works where it um it affects intimacy. So um it basically means you can't have intimacy with someone. Um, yeah. You it, it's part of the whole. Uh, I don't know how it is in the brain, but basically, there's a movie called Shame, and it and it um with Michael Fassbender, and it um uh, it shows this. It basically he can have sex with anybody, anybody, and then he finally meets a woman that he likes, and he can't. <laughs> can't do it because of the and and it was the same with the guy that i married so so we just like didn't have sex okay Um, because he wasn't able to like separate and objectify you as a tool for sex therefore it that makes sense and um in a bad way it makes well with the purity culture he was like one minute we we can't be having sex because that's wrong and dirty and and you're supposed to be pure and I'm gonna dirty you, and it all it gets into your like psyche, um, and so he basically we just didn't have sex, um, but sex is very normal and very natural, and so after like a year or no, it's ten months of um not having sex, um, and I was thinking like, what's wrong with me? Why does he want me? I remember asking at uni, being like, how do you get someone to have sex with you? And they're like, wow. what do you mean? They're like your husband, you mean? We can't. <laughs> and they were like, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? Why don't you try dressing up? So I, I went, there's like a, a naughty lingerie shop in England. And I went and I bought like everything. I was wow. like, I'll try this. And I don't know what that is, but I'll wear it. And like, <laughs> anyway, and I remember I put it all on and like strutted into the living room. And I was, wow. and I got a no. 
And I was like, and I actually said, are you gay? Because if you are, that you need to tell me because I don't know the... It's a valid question, sure. Um, and I was like, okay, we, you know, we have a problem. That's why I knew like we had a problem. And then my my spidey sense. Um, there's a movie called um, She's Just Not That Into You. It was like an old 2010s movie. Um, and in the movie, oh, I was thinking of She's the Man with Amanda Bynes. Yeah. That's also an amazing movie. I love her. Um, she's just not that into you. And one of the storylines is this woman who's trying to have sex with her husband, and he just won. And they go, if he's not having sex with you, he's having sex with someone. And that's mm. when. I saw the movie and burst into tears, and that's when I knew I needed to check stuff. So I checked my husband's laptop and his phone, and I yeah, found all the receipts, and and he'd been cheating. So, um, oh, uh, like disclaimer: sometimes it might be asexual. It's also a thing. Just you know, yeah, ace representation over here, but it's like not always cheating. But I'm so sorry. In your case, it was. <laughs> in this case, it was. It was like mm-hmm. it was token. Um, I know because I think I knew he wasn't asexual because before we got married, it was like, I'm going to do this to you and this is going to happen. And this. I, I got basically served a menu that like never came out to the table. Um, like, had he, I know this is again, probably a personal question, but had he been with other, other women before you were married? I know you said that you as a couple waited. Yeah, but... we waited as a couple, but uh-huh. he had previously uh he had many people and he was like he joined the church uh like later so um isn't that funny how the expectation is on you and not on him to remain pure weird it's almost like it's misogyny (laughs) what's crazy is just to like rewind back um in terms of like when i was really growing up um I remember being mortified because when I was first ever left alone with my, my first little boyfriend when I was like 14 years, I think we were babysitting and I was like, oh, can my boyfriend come and babysit with me? Because I'm mm. the mum was like, yeah. And I remember my mum pulled me to one side before she left and she just went, remember, God is watching. And I was like, oh, and like, horrendous. Yeah. And I was like, mum, I'm 14. No. Um, but also, like, just that thing in your mind, like, God is watching. And, mm-hmm. you know, be careful don't be dirty don't be you know once you lose it you can't ever get a bad and all this like crazy stuff um and i mean i i actually ended up uh having sex at 15 with that first boyfriend um but i felt so bad about it and like um, everything hurt because it was like ah, and like i'm just imagining a world where someone was just having like a nice time with their first love because yeah. they have to deal with all of the baggage of like you're dirty this is naughty ah. um the shame it creates and like the way that that like drills into your subconscious and the way that you like have a picture of your own self-image is just so insidious and like that's parents should not be like putting the importance of like ah, you have to remain pure like the, the importance should be on safety and consent always it should be like make sure that if it does happen, you feel like you're exploring in a good way, in a way that's like you're in the moment and like don't worry about what it means after as long as you're feeling like you're taken care of and you're not like being rushed or like harmed into anything. And that can't happen when the whole time in your head you're like, God's watching me, God's watching me. God, like there's no yeah. openness to that experience anymore. And that's so sad because it's going to happen. Like you said, <laughs> no matter what your parents raised you as, it still happens. So... 
just end up feeling bad about it. And also, yeah, yeah. uneducated. I didn't know. And like my parents, I couldn't talk to them about it. No way. And I remember being 15, 16 years old. And my parents were really, really strict with anything sexual on TV. Um, we weren't allowed to watch any movies with sex in or anything like that. Um, violence, A-OK. That's totally fine. We watched really violent movies growing up. Like, Have you read the Bible? We're preparing for a war, so. <laughs> like, violence is fine. Sexual. Like, we could play with matches and fire. We could build Oof. fires in the garden. Like, we could do a lot of stuff that other kids maybe couldn't have. Like, we could have, like, <laughs> me and my brothers could have toy guns and swords and um, violence, A-OK. Fire, mm. A-OK. Sex mm-hmm. is no way. Um, and I remember once my dad even putting his hand over my eyes when we were watching Love Actually. Do you know that movie, Love Actually? I know of it, but I've never seen okay. it. Okay, it's like a famous British uh, comedy movie, and there's a, there's a sex scene in it. And I remember him putting his hand over my eyes and be, in my head being like, Dad, I have sex myself. Like, this is, like, why are you, like, like, why are you, not, I can't watch sex on TV, but he has no idea that I'm already. So I think <clears throat> learning from the experience and looking back, um, the type of parent that I, and the way that I would approach it would be completely different. Yeah. The kids are going to have sex, like, either way so you might and i think that's probably the most important lesson like the millennials as a generation have learned is like we i think are probably one of the first generations in a long time that's like overly committed to breaking generational curses yeah. and breaking generational trauma um yeah. we're not perfect by any means and like you know there's people doing the uh what do you call it soft parenting or I, I i don't know what the words are but there's yeah. always a debate on the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it but i think the most important part is that we're trying to do something yeah. anything to end that cycle because of course our parents are like well this is what my parents did and their parents are like well my parents taught me that and we're just like stopping it and questioning everything before we move forward and i think that's great hopefully it'll change gen alpha's entire perspective on life and they can save the world because we're burning it down Anyway, off topic. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, all of that, like, that carries into so many different aspects of your life. But uh, what I would be curious to know is, so your relationship was already starting off on a rocky part, right? How how did that relate back to your faith? Because I know speaking with a lot of people, they have this image that they're sold to them of what their position is supposed to be, especially in a marriage, especially as a woman, where it's like you are there to make your husband happy. You are there to gratify your husband. Like uh, if you are a good Christian, God's going to reward you with a marriage and a good sex life and a sex life where you're desirable and everyone's having fun every time. And so did it feel like somehow you're letting down like your religion because of the breaks in your relationship? Were you like, oh, God, God doesn't love me because he set I, me up in this unsexed marriage? I felt like no way i i waited i did the rules i did it right like mm. my friends who didn't do it like, i was like this doesn't make sense i you know i i did it all right and i got baptized and i i found a husband and we stayed pure and and then i got this shit show mm. of of a marriage and a th- so much trauma from it and um and i got cheated on it broke my heart and and i would be like I don't understand God. Like I did everything right. Like sure, I, I followed the code. I followed the rules. And then you, and then the only answer that you're allowed to sort of say or what people say to you is, um, oh well, you know, it, you wouldn't be given anything more than you can handle. Oh, of course. Curve and and this is trust the pro. This trust his plan. And I'm like, this is a horrible plan. 
this is horrible like this is a hurdle that'll bring you closer your relationships can be so much stronger than anyone else's because you've gone through this early on yeah and i was like i was like but what was also horrible is like so privately we were um so i i let's go back to the moment i found out that he was cheating and i called him out on it and he came back and cried and looking back now that's when i should have left that's when i should have gone um no 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 like you you, you don't do this to me i'm worth more than th- like sort of thing uh and i didn't i was under you're under this huge pressure like, i remember um my mom being like oh you can't you can't leave like no 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 um you can't but but now again i look at it my mom was in an unhappy marriage and it was kind of like no you don't get to because i didn't get to right you don't get to right uh, like no 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 and i'm like but i'm but I'm so miserable. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, no. You made a promise. You made a vow with God as a couple of, as a couple of. Um, and, and I was like, but he cheats on me and he doesn't love me. He'll show me any physical affection. And I feel like a piece of shit. And like all of these like major, I'm so lonely. And they're like, no, 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 you made a vow. And all of the uh, close friends that we had told what was going on, because, because we were token Christian, we were Barbie and Ken Christian couple. <laughs> he was a tall, dark, good looking guy. Um, together everyone and, and everyone in the church was like oh you've got to like you've got to run the youth thing and you've got to uh, we've got a mission over here and can you come and do a prayer circle and you know so we were like doing all this stuff you're the poster child of this is what god blesses you with if you are like waiting till marriage you're gonna get the hot guy and the hot wife and you're gonna be 18 and making a house and you're gonna be so godly and it was the complete opposite it was like it's hell it was like it was the most lonely um like soul destroying confident my confidence was which which then had a knock-on for the rest of my 20s i i we i actually got out of i stayed in that marriage for a further three years because mm. when i should have walked i didn't i should have walked at 20 and i stayed till i was 23 and um i then went on a crazy like six seven year journey of um my confidence had got so low that i then uh fell into the trap of people treating abusing me and treating me like crap because because I'd lost all confidence from that first. Sure, sure. Um, Once you're like taught to be submissive in that way, you really do learn how to like stand up for yourself and set boundaries where people don't. Like, I mean, just reminder for everyone else out there: no one is owed your time, let alone your personal space. Like, not even your time is owed, and not knowing that you can have those boundaries set is, yeah, probably like probably the biggest part that that relationship robbed you of, in my opinion, from the outside looking in. Uh, I I remember looking back as well because I'm I'm like modern all about equality feminist. Uh, in fact, actually, the the fire that really got lit under my my feminist fire that got lit under my bum was when I started making online content because I started making comedy back in 2016 when there was no guys um, there was no girls doing it in England. I could see some American girls like Laura Cleary, um, mm-hmm. was a big inspiration for me, and I saw her coming up and I was like, I want to do that. But there were no British girls doing any kind of comedy. So I, um, I'm like, you know, stuff it all up a go and, um, did really well and started mm-hmm. to, to, to get a, a big following on, on Facebook, I think was the first one. Um, on Facebook. Yeah. Back in the day on Facebook. <laughs> For videos, I was getting like millions of, hundreds of millions of views on Facebook. And, um, but what was infuriating is that, um, no one was crediting me for my videos. And they would credit the boys, but not me. Or if I didn't, oh, I'd no. the boy to be in my video and I would write it, direct it, um, edit it. Everything was all mine. Mm-hmm. Credit. 
if um if someone or like Unilad or Lab Bible or someone wanted to take right they would credit the man and not me um there was like a Washington Post article about one of my viral videos and it said viral clip by and it said the man's name and it said and woman and I was like oh my god and why are you sh- they couldn't even like fact check just to get a name in there Jesus and it was weird because before I was um. I was kind of, I felt like of opinion of like, oh, women are equal now. Like, we're, you know, we're good. Like, we didn't do like, it. Thanks, previous sisters. Like, we've gone, we've, we've arrived. And then realizing you're entering like the comedy world and being like, oh, no, we have, uh, um, I can't even get credited like basic stuff or I get credited as and woman. Um, but, but, but I even, but I kind of grew up with this. I'm the only girl of brothers. So I'm very like, yeah, I'm the big brother. Sure. <laughs> In church, I, I, it really couldn't compute with me that they were like, you're the second the man is the first and the man makes all the decisions and you have to sort of like trust your man to guide you and i was like yeah Mm -hmm. he doesn't know what to do what if i know better or what if i'm um or like surely it's a joint thing and we discuss it and they were like yeah the way that it works is obviously he's going to take your feelings into account but at the end of the day he will decide what's best and i'm like it's not fair it's not (laughs) and it's like with like the the reverend guy and i was like but like that doesn't that's not fair that's not an equal partnership that's somebody mm-hmm. being a that's a being a batman or robin um that it's it that's not what i i don't well, i want to be batman sometimes you know we take turns with the batmobile uh that's yes. i feel it should be and i i oh it's something that sit right with me about that whole like oh well, we had a quite a progressive church we had a female reverend I was going to ask, is there a change in between how you or what kind of church you were at when you were growing up versus what you chose to go to as an adult? Did you change denominations or what? where were you in between that? So born in England, when I was four years old, my parents emigrated to Canada. So I grew up a little bit in Canada uh, in um, Cambridge, Ontario, and um I didn't realize at the time, so I was four, but my parents went out as missionaries as part of a church. Okay. And um, in 1994, I think, there was a thing called the Toronto Outpouring, which was like a huge religious, um, I don't know what the word for it is now, but basically it was like a huge, like a Benny Hill event where everybody was getting slain in the spirit and everybody. So it was like a revival tent call. The Toronto Outpouring Revival. And my parents were out there in Toronto with the church while that was happening. And I remember coming out of my Sunday school every Sunday and it'd be really normal that all the adults were just on the floor. And like, it might like- so scary. How I know, I know. Trying to wake my mom up and be like, mom, like I'm hungry. Can I have like, actually I had an accent. So I was like, mommy, mommy, I'm hungry. And like, and then, uh, yeah, all the parents were just like dead to the world or like crying or shaking or, and, and I remember like, very growing up in that environment they're like oh so if anyone's watching and they're like what are you talking about so being slain in the spirit sounds incredibly violent but it's basically the spirit touches you and it can manifest in multiple of ways you either shake cry fall over people lay hands and you kind of like yeah Mm -hmm. Um, and that that was really normal for me to grow up in because i was in this uh thing and then we lived the church we lived on a base unit we called it the base and everybody lived together this is where it gets a little bit culty. Um, my friends are like, were you in a cult? And I'm like, yeah, as soon as it says we lived on a base. Red <laughs> flag, red flag. So we lived on this base that I was told was an ex-army base. And so I was like, 
Oh, we live on an ex-army base. Okay. Militarization of church. That's what we need. <laughs> when it's worse than that, I found out a few years like late later, well, actually way later, uh, my mum was like, oh, no, it wasn't an army base, dear. It was actually an ex-woman's prison that got... Oh. It got shut down for dodgy things, and the church got it cheap and then set the base up at the ex-woman's prison. Oh, um, lovely. And so I was like, I was living in a prison? So we would live in our, like, dormitories, and um, we would have a mess hall where we would all go and eat. We'd eat together and just live together on this crazy thing. And I, it was kind of cool because I had, like, a but there was a bunch of kids that lived on the base. You have built-in friends. Yeah. Yeah. We'd all, like, run around together in this little commune. But I remember... Yeah heavy heavy into the sort of slain in the spirit stuff um and then we moved back to england and my parents kind of stayed in baptist that was where they settled um and we had a very weird church which was as hilarious because we had um it was a complete mixture of ex-church of england like old middle-aged white people yeah then really young pentecostal Mm. and we had um a, a female reverend, an old white female reverend, and then we had a young guy who came over from Nigeria, and he was a Pentecostal reverend. And we had weird culture thing where we were we would play one sort of hymny song, and then we would play one like Pentecostal song. That's such a like mishmash, in a, like I kind of like to see it. It's almost Unitarian in a way, like a female pastor, an immigrated Pentecostal preacher who's young. Like it feels like. Milking the new world. <laughs> when he arrived, because he was about 28, 29, and we joked, we were like, oh, he's looking for a wife. And then oh. within a year, my friend Lucy, who was 17, um, had married him. <laughs> so, but to, in fairness to them, they are still happily married and they have two kids. And actually, that's, that's good. That was fine. Yeah. Um, but like, that's part of the. It's still a little concerning that, you know, just does feel like a pattern of, you know, pastors who just only date in their congregation that's especially uh, like under 18 under 18 in their congregation it's like um but yeah so we had so i actually enjoy i i enjoyed that church and there was a level of uh growing up where i didn't enjoy some of the messaging and like the kind of women of low and no sex yeah but I enjoyed the um the social aspect too because I'll be mm-hmm. go to uh camp and we'd go to Christian camp and we'd go to all like there's tons of they're always just trying to keep Christian kids busy so that you're not having sex. So there's always something to do. There was a mission. We'd go and paint windows and yeah. the whole idea that you gotta serve, 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 which I think also I realize now as an older adult that um I learned from an early age, like if I want love, I have to serve. Like I have to do, I like I have to do something active. I think that's an important realization right there. I was gonna say, well, firstly, the community is how they they get you. You know, like that's how even if it's not a cult, that's how any religious institution works is by forming the in group versus the out group to make it feel like you're loved. And then like those relationships that you develop are genuine genuine relationships. You know, they're not being forced on you through verses. Um, they're definitely the positive benefit that comes along with being a part of a community that has similar similar views and values because then you get to like you get to yeah just have relationships that wouldn't be there otherwise and they trick you into staying into those relationships but and the fact right there that you learned that these works that were so pressed or 
given like actual spiritual weight to like you know you are the service you provide and then realizing like that's actually something that got built into your personality like how did you come to the realization like wait Um, this is something that uh has been taught or groomed to me it was when i met my current partner and um he was the first like i i decided to do a different approach and um when i dated him i took it slowly rather than this like rapid fire like i need someone to love me because i'm nothing without a husband yeah energy like ah, um and i remember um being like i'm gonna take it slow and also i'm not gonna like do anything and and i i had no idea he he just kept like wanting to date me and um be around me and and he fell in love with me and it was the first person who'd fell in love with me without me having to do anything and i was Mm. like it was so weird and i was like i haven't like i haven't helped you because i rescued i also rescued a lot of men that was my problem i'd be a rescuer (laughs) like I sniff some trauma and depression. I don't positive. So um yeah. I was it was the first time I put a boundary up and was like, I'm not here to rescue you, I'm not here to help you, I'm not here to serve you or do anything. I'm just yeah. hanging out with you. And to have somebody but I was it was really unnerving to be like, but I haven't done anything. But like why do you but why do you like me? Why are you here? Yeah. Like, why are you still here? I haven't done anything for you. And it's like, what do you mean? I don't have, you don't have to do anything for me. Yeah. And I was like thinking well it's worthy of the usual but now yeah i was like oh my god i was just desperately trying to do things for people serve people always put other people before you and give your best clothes to the poor and like it, it is you martyr yourself basically yeah in every exactly your life and your finances in in everything and feel really bad if you don't put yourself first it took me until i was like 30 years old to be like no i'm putting myself first mm. you know put your own oxygen mask on before everybody else right whereas the church is the opposite it's like serve absolutely everybody until you fall over and die like and hold your breath while you do it and i feel like that's again back to just like the unweighted uh sexism that's in church like i feel like that's so much more heavily expected on a woman than it is in a man's role um because as you said there's this umbrella method of god the church husband and wife and so your job is always going to end up on that subservient level, whether it's to your pastor or to your husband or like there's always somebody above you that you're supposed to be doing things for when that model of church exists. So it and, gets ingrained. It gets ingrained into everything. And what was really upsetting was um, I basically ended up getting kicked out the church um, when oh. that marriage ended. So so after I stayed in the sad marriage for three years. Mm-hmm. And um, it became like a shell of a person. I remember um, I, my friend took me shopping and, and she was like, oh my God, this is like, it was like a tight leather skirt, something so out of my comfort. I became really averse to looking attractive. I was like, well, you know, I'm going to, because I'd been like shunned and yeah, cheated on and so many times and everything. Yeah. I yeah. I had a phobia of trying to look attractive. It was really weird. So I remember it was one time when I when I realized I had a problem was when I put on this tight leather skirt in a shop and my friend was like gassing me up and being like, oh my God, you look amazing. And I was like, get it off, get it off, get it off. I, I don't, and I, my hands were sweaty. And she was like, are you okay? Like, what's happening? You you look so sexy and amazing. And I was like, no, 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 I can't. And I was like, I think I have some sort of issue here uh, with, um, just the attention not even from a male gaze just attention in general around that like attractiveness or you being praised 
so uncomfortable with it. Yeah. Because because I'd been uh, rejected for so, yeah. for so many years, and any time that I'd attempted to be have intimacy or attempted to dress up, I was like kind of scarred. I was like, okay, um, you you try putting on the sexiest thing you've ever put on and walk in a room and someone say no, like it it, it, it guts you. Um, sure. And I remember I returned that underwear. Sorry, just go back to. I returned the underwear to the. Uh -huh. And I returned it all. And I remember the woman went, oh, why are you returning it? And I was like, oh, my husband didn't like it. And she was like, is he crazy? <laughs> and I was like, yes, he is. Yes. Be like, I would have blamed it on the underwear. I would have been like, your shop is broken. Like, all of this apparently is just, nope. <laughs> Fix it. Um. So, yeah. So I basically, after three years, um, and so this is what happened. So now I have a huge learning curve. If you stay in an un un a healthy relationship where your needs aren't being met, and you, the basic human needs of of connection, intimacy, sex, and if you stay in that, I thought it's okay. I'll power through. You know, it's like I made a promise. I made a vow. Also, yeah. everybody and their best friend told me I was too young to get married. Anyone not in the church, anyone I met, like my whole experience of getting married was actually horrible because I went wedding dress shopping, and they'd be I was an eighteen year old girl, and they'd be like, "What are you doing in here?" I'm, I'm getting married. They're like, "Really?" Oh. And the tail rack in the back, and I'm like, "No, I'd like to buy a proper one." No. Or anywhere, trying to choose a venue. They talked to my mom over me. It was like, mm -hmm. it was crazy. So I had this whole stigma as well of like, no, you have to make this work because everybody told you that you couldn't do it. And I was like, how mm -hmm. could it work? But actually, the fallout is, is if you stay in an unhappy place and the other person, I, I was begging him to get um, therapy for his sex addiction and he he wasn't ready to go. He actually, yeah. And um, I'd call up therapists and they're like, we're a little concerned that it's you calling and not your husband because really it needs to be the person to going to therapy when you're there ready to and you were right. in that space so um anyway i ended up um getting a place at drama school after university oh. and i went to drama school and i also the, in drama school they make you do a lot of exercises to like pull on things and be able to like draw from your memories and mm -hmm. um, i remember we did this one where i was drawing on a particular memory and i i kind of had a breakdown in the in the studio and the, the teacher had to stop and she was like oh we've touched on something there and i'm like Oops. Um, and uh, so anyway, I was living in, in, in this really low self-esteem, really lonely. And, um, a guy who was on the drama course kind of came in and treated me like everything that I needed, you know, like what yeah. found me interesting and amazing and whatever. And, um, I just fell in love with this guy because he was, he was everything that my marriage was not, um, mm -hmm. And so as the year was ending, he, he confessed to me that he was in love with me. And I was like, oh, my God, like, no. Um, and I decided to um, leave my marriage, basically. He, he gave me, you shouldn't, I don't think you should ever leave a relationship straight to another one. I think um, that is a bad. That's a good advice, I think. It, it, but, um, but at the time, because I was. So... But you're already mentally out. I, I, you were already out of that relationship, really. I, I was so. Um, yeah, so like low that um, mm. he, at the time I don't think anything else would have ever made me leave apart from the 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 like the inspiration from somewhere else where I was like, no, I want that. So yeah. I, I left and I um told my husband I was leaving him for this this other guy. And um, weirdly, his re initial reaction was, y yeah, I get it. Like he's like, I'm surprised you're still here. <laughs> I get it. Um. But um, once the church had found out that I had left, that I'd left, walked out of a marriage um, for another man, um, I was, you know, that film Easy A? Yeah. With the, with Emma Stone. Scarlet Letter. That was me. 
Oh my god. Oh no. Kicked out of the church. Gossip. Um, Oof. It was horrendous. Um, all of my friends who I thought were my friends, who were friends, didn't know how to react or treat me. I was the first person in the whole of the sort of social, church social group that had got a divorce. Um, since then, it's been like, what, 13 years? Um, uh, no, not that long. 10 years? I don't know. Um, uh, <laughs> 35, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> Yeah, that's a go. But um, since then, it's been 10 years, and a whole bunch of them have got divorced. It's, it is quite a sure. lot. Well, yeah. Plus one, nobody knew what to do. Um, It was, it was, you know, it, it was... Well, was it a type of church that preached against divorce, like, openly as, like, this is the one thing that modern world will say is okay and not, uh, it's not Jesus hates divorce? It was it that kind of church? Parents were like, you can't, it's just not an option. My yeah. Friends were trying to. In fact, they um, they I'd already left, and like I think it was six, five weeks later, um, some of the friends tried to do an intervention and put us back together, oh, and no. sat me down, and I had to face him and like say again that I still wanted to leave and I was done. And, and that is so re-traumatizing. Jesus, I rem. It was, and I remember it was the time of the Olympics when when London hosted the Olympic. No, two thousand eight. Was it the Olympics? Yes, and we did the big ceremony, and mm. everyone was partying, and like London was on fire. With oh, not two thousand eight. No, two 2000- thousand twenty twelve. Twenty twelve, yeah. Yes. And everybody was partying and having this great time, and like for England, it was it was this huge patriotic moment. And I, but yeah. I I came out of this like intervention. I was like sobbing in my car. Everyone's like, but <laughs> like it was it was awful. <laughs> I want to, like, I need you to make that a scene in the memoir movie of your life. Like, just, like, the balance of, like, trauma and comedy, where it's just, like, the absurdity and value of life. Well, I left. I had nothing. I remember I had to sleep on my parents' couch for, because I hadn't lived with them since I was 18. I had to sleep on my parents' couch for a few weeks before I found, like, somewhere to go. And I remember my mom, my mom got drunk at Christmas and made a joke about me being a whore. And I was like, wow, okay, so we're here. Um... Yeah, all of the friends that were in the friendship group, some of them to this day have never spoken to me. And I was like, that crazy. We spent like five years going That's to the and then I've been to your baptism, and 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 yeah, it, it. Everyone kind of was like, oh, I got this easy A. And I remember, um, there was one friend that I had from childhood who she left the church. Uh, she exited around the same time I got married, so she got about mm-hmm. eighteen, and now she's like incredibly free and we we talk now about like do you remember how crazy it was when we were we were told about yes um but so she got out and so when i got divorced for her it was actually she was like oh welcome back like you're out like yeah um like get on this other side please (laughs) we have fun here yeah like welcome to your new life where there's no rules and no one's like slut shaming you um and i was so i was friends with her and i was friends with her 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 partner and we were at a wedding where a lot of the old church lot were and I was dancing with her partner. They're actually in an open relationship. Like they're very trusting and I'm friends with, with, with both of them. But I was dancing mm-hmm. with her partner and we were dancing in the wedding and another girl from the old Christian thing came up to my friend and we're like, be careful with that one. She steals husbands. And my friend like turned to her and was like, shut up. Like she's like, really? and I trust her. And so she relayed back to me. She was like, by the way, that girl um, just told me. And I was like, I left my husband, so and somehow that turned into I'm a husband stealer. I was like, I've never had a husband in one part of my life. 
Might as well start though. The girl who'd like come to my birthday party. I was like, everyone was so two faced. Like, but that's the thing is like. We were just talking about that community aspect not only 10 minutes ago, and I was saying, like, that's how they keep you is by selling you on these things, and you do form genuine relationships. But that relationship only goes so as far as you staying inside the group. As soon as you're out, as soon as you're made an outcast, the entire friendship falls apart. And it's just so sad that, like, the one little thread that can be keeping together uh, just, like, an entire beautiful community of people that could support each other... Sometimes it's just based on, I wouldn't even say just like circumstance, but sometimes it's based on the perceived notion that we're better than the outsiders. Mm. And then as soon as you become the outsider, you're not seen for your humor or your kindness or whatever it is. It's just you don't believe the same and therefore everything is no longer human about you. It's weird because on one's hand, you have that you have a weird paradox here because we were told that everyone's welcome to the church. And in fact, the more like wayward that you are, the more of a like a catch it is to bring you to the church. There was an ex junkie pregnant prostitute who wandered into the church. It would be like, girl, come here. It's fine. All the save points. But if somebody from in the That's fifteen points. <laughs> yeah, like it's like, yeah, extra heaven points. But the church didn't know what the hell to do when somebody from in the ranks left their marriage for another man. They didn't yeah. like so for some reason, it was like, oh, no. But I was like, but if I was coming in the front door, you'd be all like, it's okay. Yeah. In there, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was crazy. Um, but I do have to say, kudos to that female reverend, because um, in, I remember in that time when everyone was telling me that I didn't have a choice, that I had to just sort of stick it up and whatever. And I was like, he's not working. I've been in for four years. He's not doing therapy. He's not playing ball. Like, I can't make this work. I, he actually makes me feel horrible as a pet like from what mm. i um yeah and i remember that i got a visit from that reverend lady just to like a like a welfare check to be like yeah okay so the church is in flames about what you're doing and blah. and she's like i want to check in on you and she was the only person who said you know you don't have to stay and i was like what and she's like you so she had divorced um she was a divorcee as a reverend sure. she was a wise lady and she said <laughs> you don't you can stay then we'll support you, mm. but you can also leave. That is an option for you. Like, you do not have to stay married. You know, it's not, it's not 1500. <laughs> um, Good. Yeah. Good on her, though, for like yeah. reminding you of like, hey, you're a person and you have options. Um, who, um, who, who sort of said, you have a choice, like, and it's yours to make. And I was like, yeah. that's mad. And that's mad that it came from the reverend as well, like the person at the, rather than anybody. And I was like, okay, she's wise. I feel like that's actually more common, hopefully, rather than not, that the reverend is at least usually the person to see through the BS because they've seen so many different things. It's it's usually like, I feel like the members of the church that work themselves up into like the supreme piety this like mm -hmm. assumption that this is the way it'd be holy and the reverend's like because the reverend knows they just like got drunk last weekend or something you know what i mean like they they see their insides of their heads they're not superior superior figures like you said she herself was divorced she knows things go on she understands what it's like yeah like you i can see you're miserable and it's okay to start again um, so I did, and I literally started again. And then I remember that um, I had a very close, close friend um, who, who 
for years and she was like my best friend in the church and and she was i she was getting married um the year after and i was going to be her maid of honor and i was really excited and then um my ex-husband was going to be his best man so it was going to be the and it was like oh but it's like a year after like i i can personally i'll be okay with it if he's okay with it like it's your day whatever and then we were over one day i got a handwritten letter basically disinviting me from the wedding and i was banned from the wedding um because apparently it would cause too much drama for me to be there and it was going to distract from the wedding and he was allowed to go right well because you're the husband stealer so (laughs) and that gutted me i'd like nothing i was like oh my god like okay uh, this is i am i'm excommunicated like fully like i cannot go to events i'm not allowed to take part um and i thought the fairest thing to do would be like okay if we're having a drama between me and him then okay we both don't get to go you know fine do your wedding i i love you i want your wedding to be but also she didn't say it to my face she didn't have enough guts she sent me a letter disinvited letter and actually that was probably one of the in a way one of the best things to do because my mom had been not on my side until she saw me get the letter and then i think something and then she was like okay i'll be a bit more on your side because that's shit <laughs> like that's mm. to get a letter from your best friend i guess that's an upside we can look at it like that um the mom softened um and then became angry she had a new person to be angry at rather than be angry <laughs> be angry at them for like that's helpful so that was a little bit helpful um but yeah it was um that was now what it's like it's a it's a very down down period especially when it's already in your 20s and like the world is shit when you're in your 20s i don't care what anyone says like you can have all the fun you want to out there but i don't i don't think i've ever really met anybody who's not going through some crazy world altering experience in their 20s it doesn't matter who you are where you come from well, my 20s, um i'm so right like i'm so i see 30 as a reset and it was like yes i've got to yes. have the free yes a hundred percent i agree with that <laughs> I, uh, the relationships that i was in after that were not healthy um, oh. it, it was a little longer well that's what I want to touch on too because like so as we're wrapping up here because we're kind of at the hour mark oh my god so let's <laughs> let, I want to I want to kind of figure out what that transition you said those relationships weren't necessarily healthy directly after but then you did also say that like you learned how to set boundaries so what what was that in between stage where did you learn to gain that self-confidence back and like treat yourself as you wanted to be treated like how did you allow yourself to do that yeah um i stopped people pleasing oh i also took myself to therapy that i I can't say that it was all me i i found therapy helps using therapist and now i now if any of my friends are in crisis i pick them up put them in the car drive them to the therapist and i pay for the first session and i'm just like oh like get in there, you like pass the baton. I bet your therapist loves you, just bringing you in business like that. <laughs> I literally sent them like five people. Um, nice. She was amazing. I found this amazing woman because uh, I know that, and I would say try therapy. And if you, if your therapy you don't gel with your therapist, um, it's like dating. Try another one. Mm. Like I, I don't want to hear it if you say, "Oh, therapy doesn't work for me." I'm like, unless you try at least three or four, then you haven't. It's like going on a date and being like, mm, "Dating art isn't for me," or men aren't for me i'm like well that makes sense um so i I happened to stumble across someone who was amazing i was dirt poor i had no money 
and she said that she would do a session for me for 20 pounds which is mm. um like and i would always run over and she'd let me run over and she um worked with me for nine months and i remember at the end of the sessions and she was like she was like i you know I, we've done really a lot of work and i think you're good and she was like would you like to listen to some of the notes um that i wrote about you on the first session i was like go on and she was like she told me some of the stuff that i was saying to her on the first session um, and oh my god i got i can't remember what they were there, but, but but i was the way i was describing myself talking about myself it was so low low confidence i had no confidence in men i had no confidence with anybody loving me i felt well yeah. being kicked out of the church being kicked out being like being my best friend it was all like it was like rejection 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 um and she worked with me to to put boundaries in place and to unpick like why that hurt or maybe why yeah. not that i allowed but she also gave me ownership because there are certain things where actually people can treat you and bad and i'd be like this this boy is just awful and he just treats me awful and she's like yeah, but you also repeatedly allow him to treat you awfully sure and, and like there is an element where you're choosing i, I was choosing to be with anyone because I didn't want to mm. be alone mm -hmm. rather than be alone. And I was like, I'll just be with anyone. Um, right. And it wasn't until I was like, enough, I'm going to like, I'm done. I'm actually done. Um, ironically, it was the last boyfriend I had who was very quick dating. He totally loved bomb me. He was my ideal man. Um, he actually, after running away from the church, it was a few years later, he was a Christian. And so he took me to Hillsong and it was a different vibe from the other churches. And I was like, no, this is cool. This is modern. This is like, you know, they, they, they welcome gay people. They like, this is, this is totally different. Like they would, you can be a divorcee here and you know, this is cool. This is, this is so. It's hip. They wear sneakers. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And he, and this guy was, he, he love bombed me hard, heavy narcissist. And he mm. he uh, was projecting. He was using Christianity to project how um, kind and amazing he was. When actually he was just so insecure. He loved on me. He told me God told him I was his wife. Um, and he yeah he was like oh, you know you're my wife. And and I said I had a dream about you and you've been placed here by God. I, he made me meet his mom like really early on. Um, and was like, yeah, God told me you're my wife. Like, this is it. Um, I haven't had a boyfriend or girlfriend in four years until I found like this. All my friends are like, you found the one. I, I got love bombed hard. And then one day mm. he turned around and was like, yeah, it's not working. I don't love you anymore. I was like, um, and then I was like, do you know what? I'm done. I'm done. This is, this is worse than being with no one. I finally realized that like, I was like, you shouldn't be crying all the time. If you're made to feel like shit all the time, maybe just being neutral and not feeling good or bad is a good thing for a while miley cyrus song like back at we didn't yeah. have those songs we still had like like all those old celine dion songs where you're like come back to me and you too oh, um, no. so i it wasn't only until i kind of realized like actually though this is this um i'd try to be with no one than with you mm -hmm. and and i kind of went on my own and i honestly thought that um i, I acted like a man I was like, I'm just going to be with who I want to be. I'm going to tell them to go when I want them to go. I'm, my heart's gone off. And I was like, I also think I'm dead inside though. I think I'm, I think I'm done with relationships and whatnot. <laughs> and then it was, it was after being in a few months of being in this. And it was the first time I was like really properly 
single, not like finding someone and then quickly finding someone else to date. Right. Not serial dating just to like keep yourself entertained. I was like, no, I don't want to, I don't like, no, I was like, romance isn't for me. I'm off. I'm off. Um, and it was only when I was in that space when I wasn't looking for anyone and I didn't want anyone. And I was like, no, this is all about me. That's when I actually found someone who, and then, and that's when I was like, I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to date differently. I'm going to date this go. I'm going to do a boundary. I'm not going to save you. I'm also not going to disclose because I realized my therapist made me highlight that what I do is I did a baby bird syndrome where I would find a guy and I would like broken baby bird and you're kind of, you, you overspill really quickly your trauma very quickly to them. And so mm -hmm. they that's me. <laughs> Writing this down. I'm going to get your therapist number after this because apparently. Great. But the Nathan Bersage, and I realized I did do it. So yeah. would be, I would be like manic, crazy pixie girl. And by the second mm. day, I would have told them like, yeah, so I got married and he cheated on me. And it was really crazy. And like, and then I got excommunicated and like, and like people were like, whoa, you've been through a lot. And I'm like, yeah. And like, I would, I would kind of overshare. And yeah. create this sort of vulnerable little girl that they would want to like look after, but they weren't. It, it was it, which is fine when you're. Um, it, it it creates um attraction and intenseness very quickly, which I was very good. I was brilliant yeah. at getting people, and I knew that if I could be baby bird and sort of sterile my trauma, I could also get them to unlock their trauma very quickly, and so we would it's kind of trauma bond, mm -hmm. right? And then that's exactly. out. And then a couple months into the relationship, it would be like. They kind of lose interest in me because the baby is very attractive to be like, oh, I'll save you. But it's also a lot of work. And when you actually yeah. work in, yeah. um, I have a lot of nightmares and things like, it, yeah. Um, and so this time I was like, I'm going to date differently. I'm not going to try and be with, you know, we're going to, we're going to see each other once a week. And also I'm not going to, I'm not going to disclose a lot of the trauma. Like I'm going to keep that try that for now and I'm, and I'm gonna like layer that in later and it and I think that's huge yeah because then you're building a relationship based on like I don't want to say superficial knowledge but you're basing a relationship on actual personality traits and not yes getting hung up on like oh my god whether you're saving or even if it's being proud of the person like wow this person really persevered over whatever they had to survive like that that's if you only view a person as what's happened to them in their past you can't really respect them for who they are right now yeah, I think that's such a good scary. thing for you to do. I was like, I was like, one, I was scared of being boring. I was scared of not being able sure. to love them. I was scared of not being able to help them. Oh, or like all of the things in my toolkit that I was really good. Or like all of my things where I was like, I can make people fall in love with me real quick, but I um, oh. use any of them. And so it was a really nice surprise when we actually bonded. We we created a friendship out of like the now, not the then. Mm -hmm. um, and this it's different and it's lasted and we're together five years and we just bought a house and. Oh. Congratulations. Really good, really healthy. And I've got really good at setting the boundaries and um like super trusting. I went I went I was so untrusting from when I got cheated on at the beginning. I I would I'd be the girl that would check phones because my gut would be telling me all kinds of things or I would be the hyper anxious if they're out on a night out. Of course, you know, it right. I would I would I called it the Dr. Pepper effect. You know, what's the worst that could happen? I would doctor Dr. Pepper. Do you remember that? How does that relate to Dr. Pepper? So you know the Dr. Pepper advert where uh, back in the day when they were like Dr. Pepper, what's the worst that could happen? And you you swig a Dr. Pepper, 
Google it. I think this might be a UK thing. Was it? Oh, because it's like American Dr. Pepper. Okay, well, in the UK, it was a, I don't know. a big, big commercial series called Dr. Pepper, What's the Worst That Could Happen? And it was like, if you swiggered Dr. Pepper, being like, oh, what's the worst that could happen? And then like an avalanche would happen or your car. Oh, no. So, so I call it the Dr. Pepper. My brain would do the Dr. Pepper effect and I go, okay. It would it would replay whatever the worst thing, and um, yeah. So now I can't believe me. I look back at me then, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you were obsessing and worrying about things that you're not in control of. Yeah, this is gonna cheat on me. That's on them. It's nothing to do yeah. with me. It doesn't. Nope. I am. It's no reflection on how. Like I I I owned so much of being rejected because I wasn't sexy enough. I wasn't good. Mm. Enough. And actually, I was like, do you know what? If that was all. It was on him. It's all his stuff. Yes. You know, with his stuff that I was trying to like add on. So now I don't do any of that. I'm so mad. I'm so proud of you. And letting go of that is hard for so many different reasons. I mean, like religious upbringing aside, but like past abuse and past being treated like shit aside, like it's it's just hard to remember, especially when you love somebody and especially when you're in a relationship that like. They are their own autonomous person and what they do, even if it's, you know, like, oh, why doesn't he want to cuddle with me at the end of the night and stuff like that, that can all be removed because it has nothing to do with you. And so much of that is built into our brains where like we are the center of our universe for better or worse. That's how we view things. And it's really important to step back and realize like that's your partner's decisions. Like it doesn't mean you're a bad person because he gets hot at night and doesn't want to sleep next to you. Like sometimes it's just not about you not being worth it <laughs> so it's give yourself that grace and talk about things um from a more yeah and a, I, more removed situation recommend if you can't afford therapy the next best thing is um our youtube channel called school of life they're a psychology channel and they do the most amazing short little animated videos on um relationships on relationship psychology like why you are attracted to your partner why you fall out of love with your partner um the whole anxious avoidant attachment um mm. so you're either anxiously attached to someone or you're anxious avoidantly attached to someone and normally the two of them will be together um yeah. regardless of your gender or whatever it's anxious and avoidant go together as soon as you said that i had one couple in like my real life like one of my friend couples just popped in my mic I know who that is. <laughs> I'm anxiously attached and um, my partner's anxiously avoidant. So when he gets stressed, he wants to avoid. He wants space. He needs time. Yeah. When I get stressed, I want to attach and I, I need to, do you still love me? And like, mm. oh, no, but do you still love me now? Because you might have changed your mind in the last 30 minutes. It's going to change. And so we've learned, because we're both like this, we've learned a communication system where I'm like, if he's in a bad mood, I'm like, okay, are you in a bad mood because something happened or is it because of me? If it's because of me, you need to let me know. If it's not because of me, can you let me know? I'll just let you have the day. And he's like, no, yeah, I, I just need to be. And I'm like, cool, see you later. Um, or if That's it's great. Me, if it's me, are you ready to talk about it now? If not, we'll talk about it later. I'll schedule that in and we'll need to address this. Like, I'm just like, let's address I'm I love that. I think that's healthy as hell. I love. Yeah. Like it just gets around. It gets around it. So um, once you understand like and you look at yourself and you go, how do I click? Why do I click? Uh, what, am I anxious, avoidant, anxiously? How do I react to stress? How does my partner react to stress? And just, yeah, communicate it out. Um, I love it. So much better. Well, I'm so excited that you're like in a new place. Literally, you're in a new place with this new house. And like you've been able to do so much work. And I think that's amazing. Um, I think we're going to have to wrap it up here. But I'd love to have you back. 
anytime i want to do like an entire episode just on this like barrack cult situation someday with you because like (laughs) i want pictures i want stories uh no but thank you so much for coming on i want to give you a chance to like talk about anything that you have coming up anything that you want the interwebs to know obviously drop like your tiktok handle your instagram handle and then if you're like i don't know going on a world tour i should know about please tell me (laughs) so um so my socials are um it's at funny old world so like and funny's old like o-l-d-e like ye old funny old world um because i do a lot of stuff about ancient history now that's like my passion um i've did like five years of pure comedy being silly and then the last two years i'm like really heavily into like atlantis and loads of stuff like that so funny old world is like tiktok instagram youtube um and yeah, I'm not so silly over my YouTube. I'm quite serious, but but, <laughs> but that's me, and I'm out and about, and um, I'm also an actor. So there's a TV show that I'm in called Deep Heat. I don't know if you can get it in America, but you can Deep Heat. Yeah, you. Can... It sounds like a porno, but it's not. Um, mm-hmm. It's a show about wrestling. <laughs> I play a girl who wants to become a professional wrestler, like WWE. Oh, um, but you can get it on a thing called Britbox, which is like um, it's like an Amazon for England. I don't know. If... Or I think... Yeah, we have that here. It's a subscription service, but yeah. yeah. So it's on BritBox, so you can you can watch. I'm writing this down. <laughs> DP, and um, I'm about to start filming a show, but I can't say what it is, but it's for, sure. uh, it's for Amazon, so. Congratulations on both. Ooh. Well, then I will stick around and stalk you until that one's announced. Serious hatching. Hatching. <laughs> uh, you can do comedy online. <laughs> I mean, hey, it, it starts somewhere and then Later. Ha, keep wiggling your way, fighting your way into every room you can aggressively. That's what people don't tell you enough is get out there and yell. I love your TikToks. And I wanted to follow you yeah. because I instantly was like, oh, this guy, we've grown up in the same space and I get it. And yeah, I, I love it. I'm still fascinated by theology and the Bible. and But I can look at it now from very different. Like I can separate what's sort of historical what's cultural and what's like crazy humans in the church being like Mm -hmm. i find it from being outside like going to church and like not being in a religious institution i find once you're removed from that yeah like religion becomes so much more interesting (laughs) like just like on a meta level i don't know why it is but i've never been more interested in religion in my life until after i was out of church because like doing the whole missionary thing doing the whole bible study thing it felt like I guess like maybe the results or like the expectations were too high. Like it's this or I'm going to live in hell forever. So maybe it was the pressure that took out the fun. But it was also like just like the need to make sure you're doing it right. And like trying to apply that to saving souls, all that. Once that stress is removed, you get to like kick back and just be like, oh my God, like Nero was on some shit. Like <laughs> totally different. Was it just when I got in, in the last few years, when I've got into ancient history, when I've researched ancient history and I've researched ancient civilizations way, way, way before the Bible, I realized like, oh my God, I thought the Bible was like the oldest book in the world and the original text. And when I see that so many stories in the Bible are literally lifted off older, more ancient texts from Sumeria and like the... the Babylon, Mesopotamia, Noah, Ananias. Yeah, it's, it, it just goes back even further. And and then mm-hmm. new science is coming out. Like anatomically correct humans are now over confirmed over 300,000 years old. 
as to make my planet to think, well, why for 300,000 years, humans were like rolling around and God didn't do anything until the year zero, you know, with Jesus. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, that, I'm like, that is a, something's not computing. Like my, plan, sure. my uh, understanding of the universe and time, the timeline of history has expanded so much that actually Christianity is so new and so baby. I'm like, oh, it's not this old thing that we thought it was oh i did a video about that on tiktok just the other day where i just it was the audio we were like no it isn't yes it is no yes it is that one and i did a video that was just talking about religion i was like every religion you've ever heard of started as another religious idea first there's you can go back forever because as far as we know homo sapiens like specifically have a religious part of our brain that socially evolved to help us develop communities, develop imagination, plan for the future, all these things that are, like, really beneficial for a society that also just make up religion. Um, so as far as we know, as soon as Homo sapiens started, we were already religious because the species before us was religious. So, like, we won't even be able to know where it started because literally anything you've heard of came from somewhere else first because it's not before even written language was developed. Yeah. They were doing something with religion. So... And then I literally got a comment on that. It said, not Islam. Islam's just started out of its own thing. And I was like, it's old. It's old. It's what? Not Islam. Um, especially Islam came out of a whole bunch of other religions. It, what? It, yeah, that's um, the Abrahamic umbrella. That's <laughs> all claiming the same granddad. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. What, people, cause you, what is scary is you are only absorb what you're fed. And yeah. you live in a world where, yeah, Islam's your thing, or Christianity's your thing, or uh, atheism's your thing. Like, you will only know the perimeter and the walls of that world. And it's actually scary. Mm -hmm. I recommend just stepping out of it. Look at it from the other side. Look at other people's religion. I've questioned the Quran. I've questioned things, and I'm I'm interested. Yeah. Research it. Yeah. Research it. Be interested. That's how you grow, is by just, like, learning, like, why were they doing this? Why did they think this? Yeah. It's, it's the why of it all that teaches you, not the, don't do this. I had a video. <laughs> don't do this on a Sunday. Maybe I will have to come back to talk about this, but I've got a video on my YouTube channel all about ancient Egyptian um, similarities with the Bible and mm -hmm. how it's over and how the original God, um, originally uh, Elohim and Asherah, that it was mm -hmm. God was man and a woman, and then they erased yes. Asherah the woman. And it's just, yes. I was like, oh my God, they've erased the female God. Um, and Asherah is still very much in the Bible, which is really fun to point people back to. Like, it doesn't even, they didn't take her out completely. In the very early days, in like the 800s and the priestly days when they have those sources, they were very much still focused on making sure that people knew you could worship Asherah as long as she wasn't first. You have to make Yahweh, the Elohim, the highest. Yeah. But Asherah is still around. You can keep your Asherah poles. And like, that's still in the Bible until uh, around the time where Moses supposedly comes back in and it's like, yeah. But it makes no more worship of anyone. Total says that they kind of morphed Asherah into the Holy Spirit, which is why the Holy Spirit yeah. is like the more gentle, mothering, whatever. But um, mm -hmm. yeah. It's fascinating. I love it. I love that you love it because this is like what I do all day, every day. <laughs> oh, I love it. And I think I recommend that for anyone, even if you think that, okay, this is the perimeter of my life, just step outside it, look back. It's. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on the inaugural, not inaugural episode of Untracing Trauma. I don't know when this one's going to air. I don't even know if I'm keeping this piece in the actual um, part, but uh, so we will let you know. I was like, yeah, thanks for episode two, but it might also be episode three. I'm going to throw it out. 
the first time um, I don't have an episode live scheduled. So that's what we're going to use this episode for. So I'll keep you. I'll keep you on your feet for that. And then, um, okay, so for the outro, for anyone else listening, obviously go follow Johanna. She's amazing. History is great. The humor on point. She's gorgeous. Everything. You have all the things. Um, if you want to follow me, I assume mostly you know where I'm at. Jagazus on all platforms. I, I think it's easier when you're coming to my show. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then outside of that, I think I'm going to turn this into a podcast audio only in addition to the YouTube recording. So ratings are important if you're listening to this on a spotify or an apple setting make sure to rate the show and then if you're just on the regular youtube looking at our gorgeous faces thank you for your likes and please subscribe we're gonna try to make this a thing i don't know one day maybe i could travel to the uk and do this in person and like do a little documentary walk around like this is where my my church was like that would be my dream is to do this in person oh yeah Mm. yeah i could yeah i could show you some spots (laughs) all right well then we'll put that in the books for 2025 that's our goal (laughs) thank you so much for coming on Bye. bye